0: just going to look at that passage in Nehemiah. There's a lot there that will hopefully help us um, as we come to think about praying and and it's a really helpful book for that. But I wonder if you've had any of thoughts like this. I wonder if you've thought, what's the point carrying on? I wonder if you've ever thought, you know, why do I bother keeping on going? Not just in this whole last year that we've had, but, you know, generally, as we think of our spiritual life, maybe you think of the state of our nation and you just think, you know, well, people seem so against the gospel and so against the Bible. Is there a point going on? Maybe you've been thinking uh, about your friends and family and you've been praying for them for years, you've been trying to share the gospel with them and it just seems like nobody cares. Uh, Maybe as a church you think of different ways you've tried to reach out and then it ends up, you know, you don't see much fruit. Or maybe you think of yourself personally in your personal walk with God and Um, You know that you're struggling in different ways and maybe there's an attitude or a sin that you have struggled with with for years and it's come back. And you thought you defeated it, but it's come back. And you just think, what's the point carrying on? I feel far from God. Maybe I I can't seem to know his nearness. You know, what is the point? Now, you might not have said those words in exactly that way, but it's easy, isn't it, to feel like that, to feel disheartened, to feel despair, to look at kind of the um, things that we've got uh, in front of us and think, it's just too overwhelming. I, I can't keep going. You know, we look at our nation, we look at our, uh, the area that we live in, or we look at our personal lives, and we just think, it just seems hopeless. Well, this is where we need the book of Nehemiah, because Nehemiah um, really encourages us here. Just a quick introduction to the book, um, very quick, really. But Nehemiah uh, is written, verse one you see there's the words of Nehemiah, son of Hacaliah, uh, and he is living in Susa, the capital of Persia. Nehemiah is a Jewish man. So what is a Jewish man doing living in Persia, a thousand miles away from Jerusalem? Well, he is there because the nation of Israel um, in and, uh, 586 AD, they were taken from their homeland. They were taken to Babylon. Remember, that's where the story of Daniel comes in. So they were, the Jews were taken from their homeland to Babylon. Um, and then 47 years after that, Um, The Persians took Babylon over, so then they took um, God's people there. So there they were, far away from home, and uh, what had happened? Well, the king of Persia, Cyrus, let some of the Jews go home. So when they got back home, they wanted to rebuild the temple um, with Ezra. And after many, many years, um, the surrounding people saw what they were doing, and they weren't happy. So they kind of put a stop they wanted to put a stop to the temple being rebuilt. So what they did is they sent a letter to the king of Persia, said, please stop these people rebuilding the temple. So the king of Persia put a stop to the rebuilding work of the temple. So if you're in Jerusalem at this stage, because there were a few um, of the Jews who didn't go um, uh, and stayed there, they would be looking around and they would see and they would see everywhere rubble. They would see a half, um, half a job done. You know, they'd see a building, uh, building work of the temple not completed. So every day would be a reminder to them of, of how much of a tough situation they're in. And the big superpower of the time, the king himself kind of wrote the letter to stop them doing this work. So it just seems so, um, so big and so overwhelming, the situation. So what does Nehemiah do? How do we respond when we want to despair? How does Nehemiah respond? Well, three things for us to look at in this passage. What, what should we do when we're tempted to give up? First of all, Um, Look what Nehemiah does, and this is what we need to do. We need to weep. Verse 3, you see the report comes. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. Verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept. He hears of the great trouble therein. He hears of the shame. He hears about the rubble of the walls. And he... He weeps and he mourns. That's the first thing he does. Now, why does he weep and why does he mourn? You know, it's quite quite an extreme response, isn't it, to just having a broken wall, you might think. But his point isn't um, that he's just upset about the architecture of Jerusalem. No, look at verse 3. It says um, they are in great trouble and shame. Chapter 2, verse 17 says there's derision. So people were mocking them. There's much more at stake here than just an architecture of the city. See, without walls, Jerusalem was vulnerable. That means the people were vulnerable to attack. And God's people weren't just any people, were they? Remember, God had a plan. He said, I'm going to fix, I'm going to restore this world. I'm going to bring a people to myself. And how is he going to do that? Through a saviour. And where was the saviour going to come from? Through his people. So God's people needed to survive to keep God's promise alive. So when Nehemiah saw the walls broken down, What he was seeing was an exposed people, uh, and and if they weren't kept, then God's promises would be lost. You know, the gospel was at stake here, really. So Nehemiah could see that the the promise of God was at stake here. But not only that, but he could see that because of God's people were being ridiculed, God was being ridiculed. When they were in shame, God was being brought into shame. And when he thought about that, uh, you know, those things together, it broke him and he wept. See, the tears here weren't for himself, but they were for the glory of God. He was crying for the glory of God and for the, for the kind of gospel to get out. Now, as we look at our situation, and maybe we think about those around us who've rejected God, what's, what's our attitude? Now, perhaps we're tempted, aren't we, to, to harden our hearts? Because we can just be so um, used to people saying, oh, I'm not interested. You know, we invite people and they don't come or they don't tune in or they don't click on the link or whatever we're doing at the moment. You see, we get so used to it and we can kind of, our expectancy can drop, can't it? We just become apathetic and um, maybe ask ourselves this question. When was the last time that we were moved? When was the last time we wept? Now, weeping in each one of us is going to look different. Some of us will weep at just like a... You know, and and a moving advert on TV, and you're in bits. You know, (laughs) but but some people would need a bit more to get you going. But you know what I mean when I say this. You know, you're emotionally affected by thinking through these things. When was the last time that happened? That not just for for selfish reasons, but for God's glory and His honour. When was the last time we wept over the state of the nation? When was the last time we wept over the eternal plight of those we love and people not trusting in Jesus? Um, the founder of Salvation Army was um, General William Booth, who you might have heard of. Um, some of the Salvation Army were sent into the ghettos of Los Angeles in the 1920s. After three years, they had no results. There was nothing. Uh, there was no response from people in the gospel. So they sent a telegram to um, William Booth, and they said this: "It just won't work. We've tried everything. The gospel is not being received here." A couple of days later, they received a two-word telegram from general booth apparently and it said this try tears try tears you know we've tried everything he said try tears now do we long to see god working do we care about the honor of his name have we tried tears now let's think on god's holiness let's think on his greatness let's think on um on 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 his uh, on his honor and how he has been dishonored think of the love of jesus for us Think how he died, how he was rejected, how he was humiliated, and then see how other people are just using his name uh, as just uh, a nothing. Think of how lost people are. Think of where they're headed, and and let that drive us to be affected emotionally. And we see our weakness. When you we see our failure, let's bring that to God. Try tears. Have we tried tears? So the first thing that Nehemiah does, and it's a helpful thing for us to think, when we feel kind of at the end of ourselves, when we want to give up, when we want to despair let's weep. We need to try tears. We weep. The second thing is we pray. Now, his weeping doesn't just stop at despair and tears, does it? He goes and he prays. We're told, verse 4, he fasted and he prayed before the God of heaven. So he doesn't just give up and say, oh, that's it, we've got no hope. No, he takes this to God. And how Nehemiah prays, I think, is really helpful here. Let's break his prayer into three. First of all, he he looks at This is where he starts. How does he start his prayer? He looks up. And and look, he starts with God, verse 5. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. He starts by thinking about how great God is, how awesome he is, how we should be fearing him. This is the God, the mighty, the powerful one. Not the king of Persia. He's not the powerful one. It's God. He's got ultimate power. And you see, if we start with God as we come to prayer, if we start with him and his size, It then puts everything else in perspective, doesn't it? You know, when God is big, our problems can seem small. You know, the smaller our God is, the bigger our problems can seem, isn't it? But as God gets bigger, so our problems fall into place as well. So he starts by by looking up at this great and powerful God. And look, he goes on. He says, you are great and awesome, and you keep the covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. See, he thinks, hang on, as I'm thinking of this God, what is he like? He's a promise-keeping God. He's a covenant-keeping God, a God who, um, who is full of love, full of steadfast love, heseth love, covenant love, a love that'll never give up. Now, Sally Lloyd-Jones in the story, Jesus' storybook Bible, if you've read that, it's a Bible for, for children, but it's excellent. Um, as she describes um, the covenant love, it says, never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. That's what covenant love is. That is, if you use the ESV, that, that's what steadfast love is here's a god who loves me not based on my works here's a god who loves me because of his grace and as we think on that then we think wow this is the god i'm coming to he's not just almighty and powerful but he loves me and i'm accepted by the grace that i've received in the gospel and if we doubt that what do we need to do we come back to jesus and we he's the one who, who 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 did this for us he is the one who shows us the power of god but also his love we're accepted in christ see he thinks wow here's a god who is almighty here's a god who keeps his promises but look what he goes on to realize about god let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant he realizes that this great god is going to listen he is going to hear my prayer as he thinks on what god is like suddenly he's got a way in hasn't he he's he's kind of that coldness or the the distance that he might feel as he thinks on god and his character he gets to know him then wow he's he's off his his prayer is is going and many years ago I remember um, I was on the way to a theological conference and was ended up giving the lift to one of the main speakers and this um, man is a a, a, like the world expert on the book of Revelation so I was quite kind of you know like wow look at look at us here we're in this car with this man and and the conversation was hard you know I just didn't know what to say and I was there with um, Owen Blackwood who used to be the pastor here at and, um, and we we're both trying to chat and, and uh, this was many years ago now before you had the internet on your phone and I had a text message, I was sitting in the back at this stage and um, they were in the front and had this text message through saying, um, you know, what are you doing at the moment just from a friend and I said, oh actually I'm in the car with this guy, um, you, you couldn't find anything else about him so just to help the conversation along a bit, I know you, that's not the best way to come about a conversation but I anyway, mean, I, I tried it and then um, he sent a message back saying he apparently is really into antique furniture. Now, at that moment, my eyes lit up because Owen, if you know Owen Blackwood, who is the pastor here before, he is a kind of a, an expert in restoring antiques. So I thought, brilliant, we've got a way in. Once we knew something about his character, something about his personality, then the conversation could begin. You know, in the same way, when we think about God, what he's like, suddenly he's accessible. Suddenly we realize, you know, he wants to hear. He's my father in heaven. You think of how Jesus starts the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Our Father. Then we're in. We, th- we start by looking up. So what does he do after looking up in his prayer? Well, secondly, he looks in. He looks in. Look what happens next, second half of verse six. So let your ears be attentive, he says. Uh, now I pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my Father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and not kept the commandments and the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant, Moses. He realizes the people have sinned. He realizes that they failed. So he knew um, the reason they were in exile is because they'd turned away from God. You can read up on that in Deuteronomy 28 and 30. That's what he's referring to, into the law of Moses. He knew we've rejected God and that's why we've been, uh, we're in exile. he wasn't blaming god's people he includes himself here doesn't he it's me i've done this he's aware of his weaknesses his faults his failure and he's open and he's honest with god see he read god's word he was obviously reading deuteronomy at the time and he'd seen that he was convicted and he prayed remember pilgrim's progress you know he was reading the bible then he was aware of this burden on his back you know as he read he was became aware of this burden know, God's word is a mirror to us, isn't it? And it shows us what we're like. The problem with mirrors is they're so unforgiving. You know, that's one of the unpleasant things about speaking on Zoom. Now I can see myself. I don't want to, you know, it's not, I don't want to see myself. But the Bible wants us to look in the mirror. It wants us to see ourselves, shows us what we're like. And when we see things that aren't in line with God's word, and it's not pleasant to see, is it? But what do we do? We need to come and bring that to God. We need to acknowledge our guilt. And we just say, God, I'm sorry. One of the encouraging things of looking at the Lord's Prayer is it's clearly a prayer that Jesus wants us to pray every day. And maybe not word for word, but the idea that uh, what it's getting across, the the shape and the themes. So he wants us to pray every day because he says, give us this day our daily bread. So we need to, you know, the idea is you're praying every day. And do you realise what is built into that prayer? Forgive us our trespasses. Jesus is assuming we've failed every day. He knows us. We will fail. And so every day we need to come and say sorry to God. Is that part of your prayer life? Is that part of coming to God, saying, you know, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm reading this and I haven't done this. Or, you know, I've fallen short in this way. That'll help us to draw us closer to God. If you haven't done that for a while, why not tonight? You know, come to God and say, God, I'm sorry. He, he Nehemiah here, he looks up, but then he looks in. And the last thing he does is he looks back. Look at verses 8 to 11. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and then do them, uh, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you've redeemed by your great power and by your strong Hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. Grant him mercy. See, Nehemiah is now looking back to what God has promised, and he remembers, God, you've promised something. Listen to this in Deuteronomy 30 says, When all these things come upon you, um, you know, when you're in exile, which I set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where your Lord your God has driven you. And return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. He will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If you're outcast in the uttermost part of heaven, from there the Lord will gather you. He's saying, look, if you're far away, I'm going to bring you back. How? Come to me. Plead with me. You Come back to me. And he says, me and my ear in his prayer says, God, you've said this. We're doing this. Now, please keep to your promise. Now, in a wonderful way, God has given us the promises in his word for us to pray. And you might think, well, oh, why doesn't God just kind of you know keep his promises without us having to pray? But God, in his sovereignty, has planned and ordained that our prayers would be part of his promises being kept. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't need to do that, but he, he wants us to pray and to use that. So let's find God's promises and show them to him in prayer. Thomas Manton, the 17th century Puritan said, plead the promises of God in prayer. Show him his handwriting. He is tender to his word. I love that phrase, show him his handwriting. God, you know, he recognizes it. Oh, that's, that's, those are my words. So let's search the Bible for his promises and say, God, you said this. Now do it, please act. I wonder what promises come to mind when you think of things you could plead with God. Isaiah 55, maybe, God's word doesn't return to him void. You know, um, two Corinthians talks about us being transformed into the likeness of Christ when we behold him. Philippians 1, God, you've begun a good work in me and in this person. Please bring it it through to completion. Or 1 Corinthians 10, there's no temptation, no trial are you going to put us through, that there isn't a way out or that you're not going to help us. You know, Throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus promises he's going to return. And we need to hold on to these things and say, Jesus, you're going to come back. Help me to, to remember those things. So what is it this week? How can we use this this um, prayer to help us this week? Well, maybe you just need to stop and say, start uh, praying. You know, there's no set way is there to pray, but this is a helpful shape for us tonight. Now, look up. This is what God's like. Let's look, look in and confess our sin and then look back and say, what promises can I use? God, you've promised this, now do it. So maybe use this psalm this week to help you, or uh, this prayer, or maybe use a psalm to help you to praise God. Um, Use God's promises in prayer. So Nehemiah was feeling the weight of despair when he looked at the situation in Jerusalem. He wept, and then he prayed. So we weep and we pray, and the last thing is this, we expect. We expect. Now, um, verse 11, the end of verse 11 is supposed to be a big bombshell moment. I don't know if you enjoy films with twists in the end, I I love a film with a twist right at the end, think, oh, I didn't see that coming. Well, in the same sense, verse 11 at the end is supposed to be that. Because here he is, you're, you know, we're kind of thinking, here's Nehemiah, far away from from Jerusalem, um, but he's not a clueless kind of nobody, is he? He is the cupbearer of the king. He has got one of the highest jobs in the uh, country. He's trusted. He is a close friend, a close ally of the king. The, The king confides in him. The king trusts him. And for such a time as this, as Esther says, isn't it? God places Nehemiah here. See, as you follow the Book of Nehemiah, you see that Nehemiah and his placement and his his um, the trust the king gives him is, is a huge part of how God does wonderful things. And and here he is, Nehemiah. Then willingly, in the next chapter, you see he he kind of risks his life in, in asking the king for help. He he gives up the comfort of his palace to get his hands dirty for the sake of of the kingdom of God. You know, when we're praying, we come to a great God and we need to expect great things from him. So he is in control. He is working all things together for good and we can trust him to do wonderful things. He can do in moments what we think could take years. He can change somebody's heart and turn them upside down. Here's two examples that I find really encouraging to remind myself of. I remember... um, for many years I was doing an international student outreach down in Bournemouth and, um, and you'd meet people from all over the world. And it was really exciting work to be part of, uh, but I do remember at one point, um, I remember chatting to an evangelist who worked down there. And he said about this time where family from his church uh, had um, somebody over from a restricted country, a Muslim country and uh, this this lady was there, and the, the the family invited her over just to just to show love and care, and and um, uh, you know to have food together. And they eventually, as they got talking, um, they said, "Oh, so what what do you do back at home? What is your what is your job?" And they say, "Well, I have the final stamp of authority on Christians' missionary visas." And, um, and she said, I'm, I'm going to look at my job very differently now because <laughs> I've met Christians, you know, I think, well, how on earth is that? But God can do things. He can put people in the place when they're needed. The other story is um, Derek Matungu. Um, Lindsay Brown shares this story in his book, Shining Like Stars. He's, as a student. Derek was, a, was studying in Bath and some Christian students invited him to church. He experienced real love and friendship there and he, he heard the gospel and he became a Christian. Um, he went on then to study in Imperial College London and he grew uh, really involved with the Christian Union and he was so impressed by the Christian Union there when he went back to Zambia he started IFE's, the Christian Union movement in Zambia and it just grew really fast and apparently a tenth of all students were, were Christians, God was just really moving uh, in power there and the news of this spread to the President and um, he, he asked Derek and um, to come to the uh, to the palace and said look what is this message that you're preaching about what there is seems to be turning our country upside down and Derek told him and the president was apparently moved to tears and he said this is the message our culture needs to hear so he asked them to come back in two weeks with some of the students and the president gathered his whole cabinet and told the students tell um, them tell the cabinet what you told me and so there you he got to share the gospel with the with the um, most powerful man and people in that country. You know, how did it start? Something small, wasn't it? Just being invited, shown love and care and invited to church. But God used that in a powerful way. See, we can expect great things from God. Even if we feel, oh, what can I do? Now, it's only small, but God can do in moments what can take, we think can take years. We We can expect great things from him. So when we're tempted to despair, Nehemiah can help us here, can't we? We weep, we pray, and we expect. God is going to act. Now, just before we close, as you think of Nehemiah here, I wonder if it reminds you of anybody. You know, who is it that we know that that wept? When I think of Jesus, when he drew near the city, he wept over it. He wept over Jerusalem. And not only did um, Jesus weep over Jerusalem, but we know that Jesus is one who prayed, didn't he? He intercedes. He intercedes for us today. Still, he prays for us. He prays for you by name. And, and Jesus... Um, Nehemiah risked his life, didn't he? He gave up the comfort of the palace. Didn't Jesus do the same? He was the one who, who gave his life. Uh, and he, he gave up the comfort of heaven to save and rescue us. And with our eyes on Jesus, we don't need to despair. However hopeless we might think our situation is, we remember that Jesus died and rose again. You know, an impossible, dark situation of the death of Jesus was actually the start of his victory and he lived that life that we couldn't live he died the death we deserved so that we could um, have a relationship and a friendship with him so as we weep and as we pray and as we expect let's keep our eyes on jesus because he enables everything that we do we do it in his power by his spirit he's been there he's done that and and so as we as we're tempted to despair as we might feel despairing tonight let's look to the the greater Jeremiah, the uh, greater Jeremiah, the greater Nehemiah here, Jesus. He's the one who is who is ready to lay it all down for us and to save us and rescue us. So I hope that there's some things there we can uh, be encouraged by. Uh, and as we look to Jesus together.